0: And thanks to crime Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And as ever, I'm joined by, actually, I'm joined for a change by the co-host of The Sip Podcast, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. The co-host of The Sip Podcast, am I? How does that work? <laughs> I was just listening to The Sip uh, yesterday and I was very surprised to hear your dulcet tones uh, making up their episode.
1: Oh, as was I. Yeah, yeah. Now, Ross Lewis uh, popped over for Good Beer Week. And uh, he sat in on our session at uh, the Cryer Malt Trade Hub during Good Beer Week and then caught up again with him at the awards, and he popped into one of the sessions of Gabs. And uh, it was funny because in the other one that he was in, I, I pointed him out. I said, just just watch what you say, everybody. There's a journalist in the room. And I didn't think to ask him, uh, was he recording? Uh, didn't, so...
0: didn't he uh, record it? He obviously sought permission of the uh, Gabs guys. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's all good. It was, it just unfortunately, it was the one where we absolutely shit-canned cider. It was, uh, it was one of those things where, and look, the, God love the, the volunteers, um, you know, really make Gabs tick and, and it really couldn't be done without their, their generous support. And they popped down to get beer number two and came back with cider number two, which we didn't realise until the, the tasting paddles were poured five minutes before the show. We went down to get the number two beer, which had uh, subsequently sold out. So people who came along to, yeah, listen into the rise and rise of IPA got three really good, cracking IPAs and a cider.
0: That might have been what was part of the contribution to Luke uh, Ale of a Time. Robertson has uh, this week been saying how good the Ciders were at Gabs. And uh, maybe people, uh, th- th- now this is my words, not his, maybe people should pull their heads in and uh, have another look.
1: Yeah, I look, and certainly still not a Cider fan, but as in, you know, the I think Cider in this country has got a long way to go but the certainly the art, artisanal or the craft cider if you like um there's some absolute crackers out there and i love absolutely love a like a nice you know wild ferment you know spontaneous i had down at willie smiths uh, easter last year it was a, a cherry sour kind of it uh, was just absolutely magnificent like it it just took cider to a to a whole other level and it, it for me i kind of jumped out of my skin into that of you know the people who you know when we give them a a beer, uh, and they say I don't like beer, but then they taste and they go, "Oh no, I like that. That's not beer." Well, that, that was kind of me with, with some of those ciders.
0: Exactly, yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I couldn't agree more. But uh, yeah, no, and uh, so have you recovered from your huge week?
1: Yeah, yeah. Now we got back from um, got back from Sydney early Sun. Yeah, early Sunday. Flew out of Sydney early Sunday. Um, Gabs in Sydney. Just a really quick one. Absolutely went off. Like a frog in a blender, it was sensational. Five and a half thousand people at the Saturday afternoon session, which breaks the record for all GABS sessions. So it's the 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 biggest crowd for any session, Melbourne, Sydney, or Auckland. The Saturday night was a bit more subdued. So the Sydney people obviously prefer to come out in the afternoon. I wonder whether it's because you know, if you get out of a beer festival at six o'clock, you can still get in into town before lockout or something. I don't know. Maybe a few a few wags were suggesting that might have been the case. But uh, really well received and and I've got to be careful how I say this because I don't want in any way to sound patronising, but even just the four years, five years we've been doing Gabs in Sydney, you can see the market has matured and Gabs is kind of, I guess, a microcosm of that. The The demographic has really spread and it's and it's probably far more noticeable in Sydney because the, the Sydney demographic seemed to be much narrower in the early years. And the number of uh, older people, um, couples, I had a... a not an older lady and she's listening she's certainly not old but you know older than many who sort of came in sat in on a couple of the sessions and then came up to me afterwards and said right you know I, I don't drink beer i'm a wine drinker but i've I've been sitting in on your sessions because i wanted to learn this is what i liked this is what i didn't like um what should i try i've got seven dollars left on my wristband so i took her around to a couple of breweries and she ended up with still seven dollars left on her wristband but she um ended up with some really nice beers that she may not have tried otherwise
0: did you do the old don't you know who i am
1: no i didn't not at all
0: and get her a few freebies I
1: may, I, I may have had to do that to get in to the venue, but luckily Guy Greenstone was out the front. So, because of course when you get there, I haven't, you know, I haven't got my, you know, accreditation or whatever is on the other side of the door. So I've got to, get in but the queue was absolutely down the block and look there's a few a few things uh were different obviously with with gab's this time out at uh sydney olympic park but i think to those who thought yeah perhaps it's it's not the ideal venue and it's too far out of town and all the rest of it um we can we can pretty much put that argument to bed i think
0: oh that everything i've seen has been how was your week i'm busy busy uh everything yeah no it's been a i flew back from Actually, yeah, we, we've spoken since since then. Uh, no, it's just been a, a, a busy, busy time. But uh, I know that we had a few technical problems at the start of our sitting down to record, so we might just uh, keep moving on and have a quick look at news before we get into the uh, chat that we just had with Adrian Walker. Um, Let's any do that. Any news leap out at you this week, Prof? Uh,
1: yes, there was quite a bit, and I'm and I'm um, buggered if I can remember what it was now. But it was um, through through our Facebook page. There was something that. Oh, the awards, the AIBAs. And look, it happens every year. And I think it was brought about by uh, Liquorland, which is the the Coles, you know, liquor merchant retailer. And uh, using the, you know, the gold and uh, the silver and bronze medals that, that various beers had, had won that they stock, sort of saying, you know, here's some medal winning beers. And... So there was a bit of criticism about how the how the awards worked and, and that sort of thing. And I think it might be a good idea, perhaps if we get, you know, whether it's Brendan Varus, who's the, the current head judge, to to perhaps talk about um, the evolution of the awards and how they're judged and, and how it might change, rather than us kind of trying to address all the different airy-fairy issues that have, you know, sort of been thrown up against the wall, hoping that something will stick.
0: I think I saw the post that you're referring to there as well. And, uh, you know, somebody... A- admittedly, it was a Liquorland, which is a Coles-owned chain, and they were promoting in amongst a couple of other beers that they were selling that maybe got silvers. I think they had their Lorry Boys or... Is it Lorry yeah. Boys? Yeah, the, and, three,
1: uh, uh, yeah, the three, three
0: Pub Circus ring, yeah. and the Lorry Boys. And uh, they... they, Well, I won't say One, They were awarded bronze for their beers, and they were making a big thing about it. And I guess there's a lot you can say about that, Um yeah, you know, a bronze medal isn't quite the same as a bronze medal at the Olympics. It's not you know one, two, and three, and that's it. But it's still an achievement.
1: No, true. But from a consumer's point of view, Matt, the whole idea of that is to say this is a good quality example, a faultless example of 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 the style. Exactly. So it may not you know it may not sing in every category. It may not have the most uh, you know uh, boisterous aroma. Or it might not have the the, the hop you know, the, the 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 malt bill that that sort of really makes it you know special. But it ticks all the boxes to be a representative of, of its style, which, which I don't have an issue with as a judge and, and, as a, and as a writer and a commentator.
0: Sometimes I think that consumers have a view that... I, and sometimes that's presented by the person who's portraying their medal win that it represents something other than what it is. Um, but yeah, look, I, I thought that post was a little bit uh, lame. We might even, yeah, organize to have a chat to Brenna just to go through exactly what you should take from uh, seeing a, a, a meddling beer. Yeah, exactly. In other news, Taphouse, Taphouse Sydney has sold and the Taphouse buyers pledge independence. It's, On one hand, it's uh, quite sad to see the local tap house operating under a different banner, but uh, on another note, it'll be very interesting to see what the new buyers bring to the table.
1: Yeah, and look, speaking to Guy and Steve and to Justin, they were not unprepared for, but I think the success of um, both Gab's and of, of the Stomping Ground project have really meant that their their time is spread pretty thin and when you have something as unique as the local tap house and and, and let's let's remember that when it opened up uh 2009 in sydney there it, it has it certainly spawned i won't say imitators but it it has certainly spawned similar venues uh around it because you know it it brought people to that area in and around sort of inner sydney but at the time it was pretty much it was it was out on its own so it has needed um, and, the, and the guys were sort of up there, you know. They'd spend a couple of days a week up there, and you know, sort of rotating through as you need to do for a for a sort of a, a business like that. And as the three of them now have have young families, they didn't at the time. That obviously impacts on it as well. So it was it was not because oh you know we're sick of it. um And I'm sure they're sad to see it go. But it, but it is great. Uh, it's as guy said in the article in Bruce News, it was probably the, the perfect way to go in terms of the best of both worlds. So it maintains its, its independence. It maintains its um, everything that made it the, the tap house. The new owners, the Thorpe Brothers, are going to drop the, the local um, and just call it the tap house. So it's kind of still... I guess, a a destination, but it's less likely to be compared to the local tap house in St Kilda East in in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, and God, I mean, when they bought that, who knew what a juggernaut Gabs was going to become? So, you know, operating venues in two states plus a uh, multinational, and I mean that in terms of it operates across nationals as opposed to is owned by multinational, um, you know, beer festival. So uh, I guess you put your attention and dollars where your biggest growth is.
1: Exactly, and good news for Brisbane too, because it might mean that um, that uh, Gabs may travel a bit further north.
0: Fingers crossed in the not have. too distant future. Actually, I really am keen to get Guy or Steve on just to because we didn't talk to them in the lead up to GABS this year. But I'd love to just follow up and get their thoughts on on GABS, and also uh, you know sort of give them a big pat on the back. So we might organise that very soon. Um, in other news, uh, Ferrell showcases Lupulin powder. Did you catch this one, Finn Diesel?
1: Yeah, the Finn Diesel. Those who don't know, um, Steve Finney, who's been the um, he's one of the early sales guys, I think, with Ferrell, and has recently sort of become the I guess the national sales manager director I think. um but yeah, again, yeah the guys that their latest uh, brew series limited release is uh named after steve the Finn diesel
0: the thing about that was the uh, loopland powder and uh you know thinking you know people get all hung up on this thing that we call craft and one of those elements that they think about is traditional and that you have to sort of be you know beating your malt against a rock to crack it um is the mentality that some people want to carry and th- this is a very very modern um you know, a way of adding hops. And, uh, you know, I I do wonder if it wasn't a brewery that was deeply embedded in the craft consciousness, whether using, you know, hop extracts, which is one way of describing them, um, might get people to turn their noses up. Um, but it also shows that, you know, craft is, you you can't just become uh, calcified and you know, beholden to the past. You need to move forward and you can still be craft uh, when you're doing that, which I thought was a nice little element. I haven't tried the beer, but I'm uh, very keen to, to see how it goes.
1: And just on that, um, there's probably been, if we go back 100 200, 300, 400 years. Um, there were probably purists at one stage who, you know, when um, centrifuge came in or filtration or, I don't know, oh, we, Louis you know.
0: Pasteur yeah, at the th- oh, microscope you know,
1: yeah, 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 that's, what, oh, you're taking all the craft out of it, you know, this, with this fancy science stuff. So I think it's not cheating in the same way as using lots of cane sugar to, inverted commas, maintain the flavour profile. It's taking the ingredients, it's taking the technology and it's saying, you know what, it's we've got to look at sustainability, we've got to look at. Uh, <laughs> all aspects of this business to make sure that we can all, you know, as our guest is about to mention, um, you know, the pie is not getting any bigger. So we've got to, I guess, but
0: but one of the things that uh, people are talking about, uh, the the brewers who are talking about these extracts is you get all of that flavor. You get all of the, you know, the the flavors that you want with none of the flavors you don't, Um, none of that astringent um, character that can,
1: the tannins and it, the yeah ultimately yeah.
0: we drink beer for the pleasure it gives us and if you've got some off flavors or if using whole hops uh, can be a difficult thing to work with then uh why not look at better ways to do it and it doesn't necessarily turn it into craft cheese singles
1: No, they're trying, um which don't exist anymore
0: mo- don't they
1: no they changed the name this week the craft brand for is what? going so it's all yeah, it's uh dairy lease slices now so oh, right. yeah, it's to...
0: going to be called independent slices Independence. yeah
1: Artisan, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> Independent cheese slices. Yeah. Because I not call craft anymore. No, that's um, right. Lovely little story from James Atkinson, he picked up. It was, it was one of those things that. People probably, even at the awards, probably didn't pick up uh, too much. The uh, Dagon Beverages Co. from Myanmar, which was the champion large international brewery. Um, James Atkinson teased out a very lovely little story, um, and it was also a, a story that was a great credit to the Australian International Beer Awards. It's a brewery from Myanmar that entered, I think, back in 2008 was the first time they entered, and I think they got a bronze. Um, first and time, gradually yeah. they've been back every year, and the, uh, the owner... Um, Chan Ching-Fook talked about the way that they took the judges' feedback every year and improved and improved and improved and looked at ways that they could take that and get better. And uh, this year they were the champion brewery. I thought that was a really nice little story that uh, had really been overlooked um, by much of the industry. Did you catch that one, Prof?
1: Yeah, no, uh, and look, having been lucky enough to, to shake the man's hand as he accepted the trophy, I had a tear in my eye. I'm not embarrassed to admit it because that 20-second speech to me was uh, just summed up, I think, what's what's so special. that, uh, And it really made us sort of, I guess, the room sort of feel, yeah, you know, there is, there is more value to this than just – um, you know, sitting around having a, a beer dinner with all the beers laid on and, um, and handing out a couple of trophies and then all going back to, to normal, it really put into context that as much as we think, you know, okay, it's, a, it's good to see a medal or a trophy um, on a label from the consumer's point of view that, you know, okay, you know, it, it's a, a sign of quality. Um, but it also, I guess, knocks on the head some criticism um, that I've heard from, from brewers that um, that don't agree with the, the feedback. Um, so I think you can you can take it either way, I guess. And in this case it's it's worked well.
0: Absolutely, well, it certainly has for, for um, Dagon um, Now the last story that I had was and it, it wasn't really a story that we need to discuss just something I wanted to um, flag it was, it was interesting we've been talking a lot about brewery buyouts and AB InBev and talking about seeing both sides of the fence uh, somebody who definitely doesn't see both sides of the fence uh, is Jim Varel in Paste magazine um, and an article headed The BS Arguments of Craft Beer Sellouts How Brewery Buyouts Hurt Craft Beer very very interesting and you know, I just you know, again i'm not sort of saying that it's right or it's wrong but it does does raise some interesting points that we haven't necessarily covered all of them on the uh, podcast or on the on the site and it includes the quote such as uh, first let let us simply acknowledge the apologist's screeds whether they're coming from just-purchased breweries or publications always have one thing in common. They skillfully and selectively choose to address some of the beer drinkers' concerns about brewery acquisitions while conveniently ignoring others to which they have no satisfactory answers, then go through a whole range of uh, you know, the, the, the lines that you read in every PR media release about, you know, this buyout will allow access to new distribution. And he, he goes on and uh, provides some contrary points of view to that, which I just thought was an interesting. It was, it was an interesting article. It helps colour in the conversation around craft beer. Um, and we'll add that in the show notes.
1: Yeah, and speaking,
0: who who are we talking to today, Prof? Uh, Sorry, Prof. No,
1: that's no, right. I was going to throw a segue in, but you did it for me so beautifully. Done. We're going to speak with um, Adrian Walker, who is the export director for Firestone Walker. Let's start with that now. Adrian Walker from Firestone Walker. Thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News.
2: Uh, thanks for um, well, thanks for having me on. It's a great honour.
1: Now uh, I had the. Pleasure on your first trip to Australia of um, not being perhaps a chaperone, but certainly getting to have dinner with you on a couple of occasions and uh, and sitting down and have and sharing a couple of beers. Uh, but for those who don't know, who is uh, Adrian Walker and tell us a little bit about Firestone Walker?
2: Um, firstly, firstly, the pleasure sir, was all mine. Uh, it there was <laughs> a fabulous couple of evenings. Um, uh, who is Adrian Walker? More importantly, who is Firestone Walker? Firestone Walker. We are a, a California brewery. Um, Nestled in Central Valley, kind of equal between L.A. and San Francisco. And uh, we've been plugging away at brewing beers for about 21 years now. And my brother, David Walker, and uh, his partner, Adam Firestone, have been nurturing the uh, the craft beer ethos all, for all those years. I got thrown into it some years ago, as, as you know, and um, then thrown straight back out of it and um, have... Uh, somewhat through a subsurist route found myself as uh, kind of head of our export program.
1: Yeah. And for those who don't know the, the, the full story, it was, uh, your brother invited you over. You were living in England at the time. He invited you over, gave you a beat up pickup truck, filled it with beer and said, how hard can this be? Go out and sell some beer. And it's fair to say that you were pretty shit at it.
2: I was, I was, I was shocking mate. I was absolutely shocking. I couldn't have sold a, a glass of water to a thirsty man. But um, uh, thankfully, things have changed now. I am a more erudite individual. One would like to
1: think. And there's an interesting uh, backstory to the uh, to the brewery and and to you. That David, the co-founder, he was born in the states to English parents who then moved back to England, where they then had you. So there's kind of a, a bit of a, a transatlantic kind of um, yep. marriage there. Yeah.
2: So my um my my parents actually um emigrated when my brother was my brother wasn't born in the US but he was like I think he, he was two or three when they emigrated and they um they spent their formative years there and then returned after my father had become a chiropractor had um, qualified and then I was uh I was born probably as the mistake one might suggest so uh, so David and my older brother Keith are 7 15 years older than I am
1: but but luckily for them, you you've now got a lot of uh, your sort of work life ahead of you, um, and yeah. you, you were you were you were taken back into the fold and uh, as the export director. So, and fortunately, uh, for the first time, uh, legitimately, we can get Firestone Walker beers in Australia.
2: Yeah, we we're, we're super excited about this, and um, I think you know I think as as we we talked about the entire week, we were at, um, at GABS in Melbourne. We're all about, you know, finding the right partners, finding the people who we believe are going to look after our beers as it makes. They make their journey to our customer. And, um, you know, in, in, in Global Craft and obviously in, in Dan Murphy's, we think we found that person or those people, rather, should I say. It, it's all about freshness. And it's all about quality. As, as I said before, you wouldn't leave a, a top steak out on the kitchen counter for three days and then cook it. you'd know, you probably look after it a little bit better. People need to look at beer a bit more like that.
1: And I think it's probably fair to say that... Oh, sorry, I'm just getting a bit of feedback there. Uh, It's probably fair to say that you are possibly the first brewery to, I guess, encourage Dan Murphy's to stock your beer on the proviso that it is only available from the fridge, not on the shelves.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, And that wasn't us trying to kind of be some kind of bully in the playground that was just us saying we want to partner you we want to um supply you with our wonderful beers but they have to be on these terms you know we'll make sure the beer gets to you you know as fresh as we possibly can and we've we've talked about that route where we can get it to dan murphy's within you know under 30 days and we brew fresh to order so beer in australia shouldn't be more than 35 40 days old and i think Dan Murphy's really appreciated that commitment, and therefore gave us their commitment that we would always be in the um, in the fridges. So if you find us not in the fridges, someone needs to tell me.
1: I'm sure our listeners will be out there, uh, ears to the ground, and we will make sure that um, not that they're you know sneaky dobber sort of types, but, um, <laughs> but, but but they are big fans of I guess doing the right thing. And Matt and I in our previous podcast uh, last week. We're speaking about the old, you know, sort of six-week trip on the on the unrefrigerated boat, which has now become, you know, like you say, seventeen days, sort of dock to dock. Then with obviously a little bit of transport at either end, which is which is a massive improvement.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, guys, it's real simple. You want to drink good beer, right? Period. So if you want to drink good beer, try and drink fresh beer. And if you can't, tell us about it. Can I get an amen? Amen, brother.
0: Adrian, there was a bit of a kerfuffle recently uh, in, in the market where breweries such as Stone, which for a long time said, we're not even going to send our beer to Australia because we can't get it there fresh. And when we do, it'll be so expensive that there won't be pull through. And uh, they've recently signed a distribution uh, agreement. Um, but as part of that, they've had a much longer use-by date for the Australian market than they uh, you know, are very religious about in in the u.s did you have to do make similar sort of compromises to to get the shelf uh, space in dan murphy's
2: uh yeah you do i mean we have to put a um any country you're exporting to it's not just australia it doesn't matter it's the uk germany canada you have to have a year's run of the product and you know we'll we'll put a you know a best before date on there but we'll try and make sure that through Hard work and diligence. That beer is drunk within 120, 160 days. That that we prefer not to do that. But unfortunately, just you know, people won't import it. A retailer won't won't take it into their DCs if they don't have that kind of um, longevity sat on the product.
0: And how do you manage that relationship with them to make sure that they're not overbuying and you, that you're selling enough that you will hopefully, despite the uh, extended code dates that you are still getting a, a fast enough pull through that it is selling while the beer is still fresh?
2: Well, we focus on depletions a lot with our distributors. So we look at how quickly it's moving out of their DCs and, um, and you know what, it's, it's, it's a bit old fashioned, Matt. It's doing what I'm doing to this, you know, what's what I do for a job. I get out there and I walk the streets and I look at, see what's in the stores. And if we think that we've got beer, which is a bit too old, we sit down, discuss it and work a better plan. Um, and I think that's where sometimes you, you know, if you don't have people out there monitoring it, looking at it, it, it can get away from you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, Adrian, you've, you've hit on something there. And it's kind of that that element of, of tacit approval that it's um, and it's an education process that and this isn't uh, anything against Dan Murphy's, but uh, a a retailer. If they're not called up on it, we'll kind of go. Oh well, gee, we've got some extra stock. We don't want to put it all in the fridge. Let's put, let's just put some on the shelves. And if nothing's said about it, then they they kind of guess. Well, th- that's okay then. So it's uh, what we're really talking about there is, in as much as we educate the drinker, we also need to to educate our suppliers and our retailers.
2: Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, I always say we control. What we can control, but once we've sold that beer to the retailer, whether it be Dan Murphy's, a small bottle shop, or a bar, we're in their hands. And so, you know, that's about one education. It's about, you know, keeping up with the relationships, making sure we're in the market and active. And, you know, it was it was a real shame. I spent a little bit of time in New Zealand as well. And I saw a lot of old beer in Australia and in New Zealand in, a, in little bull shops, which up to 12 months old. And uh, I've reached out to those breweries and said, hey, guys, just let you know, Senior, lovely beer, but it's it's looking a bit old. And sometimes the smaller breweries don't have the manpower to send someone out to, you know, I mean, it's only me, by the way, it's not like we have an army of people doing this. It's just little me and my little yellow suitcase. And um, yeah, they don't always have the manpower to do it. So uh, it will get away from you.
0: Adrian, what is the attraction for a, a brewery that's got a very big presence in a country with a population of over 300 million people in exporting you know, halfway across the world to a country that has a you know, population of 22 True. million?
2: Um, well, so I suppose it's, uh, it's, it's th- three stages. Um, trademark. Uh, we understand that eventually we're going to be coming around the world, and so we want to protect our trademark. And secondly, parallel importing or grey imports as you like to call them they're our biggest kind of biggest bugbear they are overpriced old beer that's not looked after it's not monitored and um i really don't want people tasting our beautiful beers and thinking that's how they taste and i think if you look at the and you know to, to have a look at the economics of what's happening the u.s market is a challenge And it is, uh, you know, the drinking pie hasn't got any bigger, but the amount of people drinking that pie has, if that makes sense. There's a lot more breweries around. So we're looking at new markets where we can go and take our beer and, and, you know, hopefully furnish people with that kind of product and do it successfully. Um, you know, there are markets that we have been in and we've come back out of because we can't do it successfully.
0: Is that the equivalent of hedging your your market, that if there are dips uh, locally, that at least you've got a couple of other markets that may not be subject to the same fads and fashions and you know, sales dips?
2: Um, yeah, to some degree. I think the fads and fashions, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, are pretty much similar across across all the craft markets. And it's something which I, I kind of, I do point to and talk about to some extent. I think I actually, I mentioned it um, with you, Peter, when we were on the panel in Gabs and I said that, you know, Australian beer needs to be Australian. Doesn't need to be is Californian or any other beer or Belgium. And I think that's what we'd like to do is we'd like to, we'd like to be able to export American craft beer to countries which don't have that particular style and I think it's also about you what you're right originally it's about hedging our bets but you know you'll find the market will eventually fill itself up in Australia and to some degree already probably has done in New Zealand I think what's interesting in my travels is that Australia and New Zealand are definitely the two regions that are closest to the uh, American craft business Europe's not far behind the UK is a little bit further up the road but um, it's definitely down, down uh, in the southern hemisphere where we're seeing far more traction.
0: We've been reading a lot over the last six to nine months about how the big craft breweries in the U.S., the Sierra Nevadas and the like, have seen sales dips more recently after you know, years of uh, constant growth. How has Firestone Walker gone over the last uh, 12 to 18 months? Have you seen a plateau or even a decline in sales recently?
2: We're very fortunate. We um, we have a very good stable of beers. We're very well thought of in our in our home state. Remember, we're only in thirteen states. We don't uh, we. Although we distribute nationally, we're not in every single state, and we're slowly growing that the growing the US market. Uh, we've actually um, increased our in sales year on year to the tune of around twenty seven percent. So we, we've we've probably been you know going in the in the other direction of that market trend.
1: Uh, Adrian, just on the beers, because some people may not have had the chance yet to read the article by James Atkinson in Australian Brews News, but the trophy-winning Pivo Pills should be out mm-hmm. and available in Dan's in Australia in time for summer. But at the moment, we've got, is it DBA and an IPA? You do. You have DBA and Union Jack, which were
2: were chosen because you're going into your winter, and they are a little bit more of a winter warmer beer. DBA obviously is our kind of, you know, our mother's milk is where we started. It was our very first brew 21 years ago. Very proud of it. An English pale ale when the world was starting to get excited about IPAs. We were making an old man's beer, but um, <laughs> that old man's beer is, is still here 21 years on.
1: And it is a cracking beer. I um, yeah, enjoyed it very much the other night at, uh, at Brewers and Chewers at the local tap house.
2: Oh, yeah, it was very good. Very good indeed. I, I, it's, it, it's my favourite beer out of all our line. And then, of course, you've got Union Jack, which is our big, kick-ass West Coast IPA. Uh, 7% says exactly what it says on the tin, you know, what you'd expect from a, uh, a brewery steeped in IPA history on the Californian coast.
1: And then we'll also have uh, – it's a session IPA coming along with the Pivo Pills in time for summer, I think.
2: Yeah, hopefully. So we're, we're going to bring in Easy Jack which is 4.5%, which I know some of your listeners might go, why are we bothering with the 4.5% IPA? I encourage you all to taste it first and then review your decisions. Uh, That's been a real king beer for us uh, on an export uh, level, and um, it definitely dominates our European markets. So we think it should do well down here alongside Pivo Pills.
0: Adrian, in the styles that you decide to send to export markets, how much of it is, well, we're Firestone Walker, people like our brand. How much is it we need to offer something that's a little bit different to that market to find a nice niche in the market? And how much is it just American craft beer is going great guns in a country like Australia?
2: It's actually all about the the in-country distributors and the in-country teams making their decision. I give them the opportunity to have all our SKUs. We make Californian beer, so we're not going to try and make... German beer, we're not gonna try and make Australian beer, Belgian beer, we make Californian beer. And to that end, we offer up all the Californian beers that we have. And then I find that the in-house market, in-house teams will then create that, will make those decisions for me. And you know, you start off with maybe six or seven SKUs um, or brands within a market. And eventually we see the top two or three rise and the other ones become a bit more specialised and um, more on a kind of a, a seasonal basis. What I'm trying to say is we're not driving that decision. We're letting the customer in-country drive that decision.
0: Um, you did mention uh, Belgian beers, and I guess there's a, that, that's a fairly topical point. Uh, recently, we've seen a lot of talk about the big companies like AB InBev acquiring American uh, craft breweries. You guys managed to uh, get married, uh, be acquired, however uh, it, it's described, but you dodged a bullet and you were able to merge with a very storied, uh, you know, very glamorous partner.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're part of the, um, the Duval Morgat family. And we have a beautiful partnership there. They are a, a family-owned business that has been around for 150 years. We couldn't have thought, think of um, anybody else that we would first to do business with.
0: And what, what has been the benefit in uh, your partnership with the Duval Mortgate Brewery? Do they have an active uh, role? Do you exchange recipes and ideas, or is it uh, some more of the uh, just financial and distribution benefits? Uh,
2: the latter, I suppose, is, 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 the, uh, is the truth. Also, you know what? They've been doing this for 150 years, so they've got a little bit of uh, time on us. So taking some advice from them is not a bad thing. Primarily it was a, uh, a financial transaction in, in regards to expanding our brewery from a 400-barrel brewery to a 950,000-barrel brewery.
0: Is there any piggybacking or sort of working together? And I'd have to say that Duval is one of the beers that first fired my interest in beer Good. You know, 15, 17 years ago. Yeah. So is there any uh, sort of working together and devel- co-developing? I know that uh, Duval brought out the triple hop.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there is there is absolutely we absolutely do do work together. Why wouldn't you, you know, having Matt Brindelson and Hedwig in the same room is no bad thing, right? And so, uh, yeah, there is there is uh, collaborations on the horizon. We have already started helping them with setting up a little barrel works program, funnily enough, um, at the Taconic Breweries. And there's constant communication back and forth. Craft beer is all about the community, right? It's all about us all helping each other to keep searching the endless search for the perfect beer. So we talk to them all the time.
1: Adrian Walker. Thank you very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News. And I do believe that, uh, now I don't know whether it was you know, a partly drunken conversation, but based on the principles of <laughs> always do sober what you promise to do drunk, four times a year, I think you're going to pop out and, uh, and visit us. You'll be seeing me in uh, October, sir. Don't worry. There we go. So we look forward to catching up and uh, hopefully whether it's a tap takeover or a chance to come and have a chat and taste some of your beers, we look forward to seeing you then.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, guys. I
2: really appreciate your time.
0: Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for your time, Adrian. Good news is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number 1 craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specializes in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and keg beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There we go, prof. Great chat, prof. Uh, Yeah, fascinating. guy. I didn't catch up with him. I know you spent a lot of time with him during Good Beer Week. That was the first I've uh, heard, or obviously saw him at the Gabs, but first time I've heard from him. Interesting guy.
1: Yeah, and look, my only concern was that he's definitely in the opposite ear to the one that you're deaf in, so I was just hoping that the technical things worked out, and it wasn't just me asking questions and you two going, what? Huh? Sorry? What? Huh?
0: Sorry? Maybe I did meet him, but we just couldn't have a conversation because we were on the wrong sides. (laughs) That's it. But no, that was a fascinating, really, really nice conversation.
1: Um, yeah, no, and he's a great ambassador for his brand, but also for beer in general. And anyone who, who had the pleasure of sort of seeing him in action, whether it was at Carwin Sellers, he did some stuff down here, or at the local tap house or at Gab's. Yeah, he's memorable. And good luck to them, and particularly good luck to the drinkers over here who will get to try some Firestone Walker beer as close as it's intended to by the brewer.
0: Excellent. Uh, Well, Prof, that's pretty much the show. There's not too much that we... No cards or letters this week. Listeners, if you do want to get in touch... let's
1: just leave them hanging. Leave them hanging.
0: Uh, Yeah, so if you do want to get in touch, you can get in touch with us through... You can find our emails in the show notes or producer at bruisenews.com.au. You can leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or you can become a sponsor and help us out and help us improve the quality of what we do and even make it worth our while by buying us a beer every now and then. And you can find all of the details about that on the show notes. Apart from that, off next week we're catching up with Andrew Ong from Two Brothers Brewery which is celebrating 10 years
1: yeah 10 years and celebrating a couple of trophies as well so um, well done to them
0: I happened to be placed next to Andrew and Ben Lee at the AOBA Awards, so yes I got very uh, close to a whole swag of medals because I had James Atkinson sitting on the other side so uh, <laughs> there was trophies all around me <laughs> so uh, no, very much. I, I actually remember gee, back when I was editing Beer and Brewer magazine ten years ago, getting an email out of the blue from Andrew telling me about this new little uh, brewery that he was setting up in Moraben with equipment that they ripped out of Times Moorabbin? I think that's yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. with the, they ripped out of Times Square in the US. You know, in the very early days, and hasn't the industry changed in the last ten years? So I, I sounded him out about that even before we uh, saw the trophies come through. So yeah, next uh, next week we'll be chatting with Andrew Ong, and uh, very much looking forward to that, Prof. So So, mate, have a great week. Looking forward to seeing uh, what happens in the news over the next seven days.
1: That's it. Let's on out of here. Strike up the band.
0: Always good to chat.
1: Oh, they're already struck up.
0: I'm talking over the top.
1: And we're out.